Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Well, good morning. Y'all doing all right today? Okay, a couple of you are. That's good. Worried about the rest of you. We'll see how it goes. Uh, man, y'all sit so far away. Like, uh, I don't know, does Josh spit a lot or, or, or something when he's up here? Or Dwayne, I, I don't know. Um, so um, it's really a, a great privilege for me to be here with you today. I was here back in June, and uh, this time I brought my uh, 15-year-old son, Hudson, with me. Just clarify up front, I have to do this when I go places with him. He's my son, not my grandson, okay, because Josh, uh, Dwayne's already uh, told you how old I am. So uh, anyway, uh, glad to be here. I'm, I'm glad to be back with you guys, but I'll be really honest with you. I was a little nervous about coming back. Um, I don't know if you uh, connected the dots, but when I was here in June, the last time I was here, which was my first time to Indianapolis, um, Dwayne and I were actually uh, caught in, a, in the middle of a gunfight in downtown um, Indianapolis. And uh, that was a first experience for me, and uh, I'm pretty much hoping that it is going to be a last. I, I, don't, I don't ever do that again. <laughs> Um, wasn't expecting it, wasn't ready for it. I didn't think Indianapolis was that dangerous, but um, man, if you follow uh, Dwayne, it, it's, it's pretty dangerous. Um, you know, um, life often uh, brings us surprises, right? Things we weren't suspect, we weren't expecting. And, and often those things are, they're hard. They, they feel like battles, they feel like struggles, they feel like we're in a fight, and, and maybe some of you feel that way this morning. Uh, maybe it's a, it's a conflict you didn't see coming. Maybe it's a hardship or a difficulty that you weren't prepared for. It's caught you by surprise. And you feel, you feel like you're in the middle of a fight. Uh, for some of you, it, it's been a long season of that. Like it's not new. Everything feels like a struggle. For some of you, you know, man, I was just listening as we sang those songs Grant, some of it is uh, hard for us to connect the, hey, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ His Son. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the resurrection. But it's hard for us to connect the dots between that and what we sang before it. I believe that you will always be more than enough for me. Like we know theology and we believe the theology, but sometimes it's hard for us to intersect that with just the difficulty and the hardship of life, right? Right? Yes? Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do regular checks on you to make sure you're awake as we're walking through this this morning. What I, what I want to do today is I want to ask you the question, how are you responding to the battles that you're facing? How are you dealing with it? Are you pressing into faith or are you caving into fear? We're, we're going to take a look this morning at... Uh, an encounter with Jesus that's captured in Mark chapter 9. In fact, it's captured in several of the Gospels, but we're going to look at Mark chapter 9. And I think it's an encounter that gets at the heart of what it means to have faith in the middle of a struggle. All right, so if you've got your, script, your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 9. We're going to pick up at verse 14, and, and we're going to be breaking into the story just as Jesus, along with Peter and James and John, are coming down from a, from a high moment, a holy moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And they're joining the rest of the disciples who are in the middle of what feels like a mess. And let let me just say this. You know what? It seems to happen that very often these, uh, these battles, these struggles come on the tails, on the tail of a high moment. A holy moment, a mountaintop experience, a a sense of you've been with God and you heard with God and and then all of a sudden it feels like the rug gets pulled out from under you. Well, that's what's happening here. Mark 9, we're going to pick it up at verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, he said. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Okay, Jesus comes up on his disciples, and they're engaged in a heated argument with the teachers of the law. Now, the teachers of the law were the religious elite of the day. They were the scholars, the theologians, the the folks considered to be holy and, and right with God. And the disciples are engaged in this argument with them, and there's a huge crowd that's gathered around them. And it's not difficult for me to imagine Jesus' frustration, right? What are you arguing about? What are you arguing about? What are you arguing about? I, I don't know how he said it, but I, I, don't, I don't think it was a compliment. I think it was frustration. And before the disciples can say anything, one of the men in the crowd speaks up. Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Now, now you might wonder, why, why is this father bringing his son, his demon-possessed son, to the disciples to cast the evil spirit out? Well, Luke 9, which also captures this encounter, uh, tells us right before that, the beginning of Luke 9, that Jesus sent out the disciples and he told them to go cast out demons and heal the sick. And in Luke 9, verse 6, it tells us that the disciples actually did that, that they healed many people everywhere. They did, uh, they did miraculous works. They cast out demons. They, they healed the sick. So word on the street was that these disciples could work miracles. So this dad brings his son, who's possessed by a demon, and he asks the, the disciples to drive him out. He's, he's looking for a re- relief. He's looking for these disciples to do what he's heard they can do. But the disciples can't drive the Spirit out. So when Jesus shows up, the man comes to Jesus and asks for his help. Jesus replies, verse 19, You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Okay, can you just hear the exasperation in Jesus' voice? Can you just hear how he's responding to them? Unbelieving generation. Listen, it sounds to me like a pretty harsh rebuke. But, but who's he talking to? Who's he addressing here? I think Jesus is addressing more than just one group or more than just one person. Unbelieving generation. I think he's talking to the crowd. The crowd of people who just came to see, who just came to watch. 
They're kind of fickle onlookers. They're not really interested. They just are looking to be wowed. They're just watching for the next greatest thing that might happen. They've heard about these miracles. and So they just want to see what's going to happen. They're just spectators. They're just standing at a distance trying to see what's, what's happening. Unbelieving generation. I think he's talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who absolutely refused to believe that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Unbelieving generation. I think Jesus is talking to the disciples. The disciples had seen him do a whole lot. They had heard him teach. And yet they're, they're, still, they're, they're still not sure about who he is and, and what he can do. They're still filled with doubt and questions. Unbelieving generation. Maybe he's even talking to this dad. He's looking for some relief. I, I think Jesus is talking to the whole crowd. Unbelieving generation. Verse 20, so they brought him, they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit in him saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You hear the agony in that, the, the pain. This boy from childhood has been tormented. He's not a child anymore. We, we know that because the dad says, from childhood until now. He's, he's grown. We don't know how old he is, but he's not a child. He's not a baby anymore. But from the time that this, chi- this boy was a child until he stands before Jesus on this day, it's been one continuous attack after another. One crisis after the other with one goal, destruction. Did you hear that? The demon throws him into the fire and into the water to kill him. It's a purposed attack. And this dad knows it and he feels it. There's no peace and no rest. It's been so long since things were just normal. There's not a moment that this dad can take his eye off his son for fear of what will happen to him. Can I just say this to you? Some of you will know it. Nothing breaks you down. And makes you desperate for God. Quite like watching your kids hurt and suffer. I think part of that is because of the image of the Father in us. Don't you know the scripture says as a father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That, that compassion, that hurt that we feel for our kids is just a mirror or a reflection of what God feels for us. There's nothing that will break you down like watching your kids suffer. Pastor, uh, we love to hear Joby Martin says there's nothing like kid pain. There's no pain like kid pain. And this dad knows that if something doesn't happen soon, he knows his boy will be dead. So he pleads. He pleads with Jesus, if you can do anything. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Can you, can you hear the desperation in his voice? The fear, the anxiety, maybe this won't ever end. Maybe it's always going to be like this. 
And who, who knows how it's going to end, what's going to happen. But Jesus, if you can do anything, anything at all, we'll, I'll take what, whatever you can do. Just please, please, please have mercy on us. Take pity on us and help us. Can I ask you this morning, have you ever been there? Have you ever been at that spot where you felt broken and desperate and afraid? Jesus replies to this father in verse 23. If you can, Jesus said, everything's possible for the one who believes. I'll be honest with y'all. It's super hard for me to believe that this is a rebuke. I don't think there's any harshness in what Jesus says. I, I don't think there's a, a snarky comeback. I, I believe with all the tenderness and compassion that is Jesus, I think he looks at this desperate father and says, if you can is not the right question, my friend. You, you see, I can do anything. But you have to trust me. You have to believe. And that response from Jesus, Jesus' words fanned into flame the fire of faith in this dad. And so the scripture says, verse 24, immediately, immediately, quickly, without any hesitation, as an instant reaction, this dad says, I do believe, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Other translations put it like this, I believe Help my unbelief. Listen, there, there must have been something about seeing Jesus that lit a spark of hope in this father. He, he heard something in Jesus' voice or he saw something in his eyes that resonated with him. I don't know what it was, but something moved this father to cry out with hesitation. I do believe but help my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Y'all, I, I can't tell you how much I love this. I love the honesty in this. There's no pretense here. There's no attempt to impress. Desperation will do that to you. He's honest with Jesus. I do believe. I do believe, but it's imperfect faith. I, but it's there, mixed in Jesus with my, with my belief, with my faith, is, is unbelief. But, but I don't want to be taken down by my unbelief. I don't want to miss out on what you want to do because there's a flaw or, 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 or doubt in my faith. And, and so help, help me. Help me overcome my unbelief. Y'all, there's a posture of faith even in that. I believe, Jesus, that you can help me get over the hurdle of unbelief. I believe you can stir up faith in me. I believe you can give me the faith to believe. I believe you can call faith out of me. So I need you not just to help me with my demon-possessed kid. I need you to help me with my lack of faith. Boy, what a, what a posture of, of hope. And that little bitty seed of faith, that mustard-sized faith, that little spark of faith in that father was enough to move Jesus to action. 
Jesus didn't need great big faith. He just needed a little seed of faith. And verse 25 says, When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much... (coughs) Excuse me. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Y'all, all it took was a word from Jesus. And this son and his father were released from a lifetime of agony and torment. Can you imagine what that felt like? Just, just one word. Just one word. All Jesus had to say was come out and never come into him again. And he was released both from the agony of what he experienced, but the fear of what might be coming. Come out and don't ever come back in. Jesus brought release and freedom and healing. Can you just imagine what that would feel like? What that would be like? To have Jesus speak that kind of life into you this morning. Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we do this? And Jesus replies, this kind can come out only by prayer. Y'all, I think that something happened here that was significant, and the disciples wanted to learn from it. They they wanted to learn how to walk in faith and experience what God had called them to. And, And I think there are at least three important truths that we can learn from this encounter this morning, okay? There's a multitude in this passage, but there are three things I want to pull out for you, and here they are. One, there's a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle. Two, the struggle for faith is real. And three, prayer is essential for victory. All right, those three truths, I want to dive into those and dig into those this morning and see if I can give you and me something to hang on to as we face struggles and battles and hardship and difficulty and press in to faith in Jesus, all right? Number one, there is a spiritual battle. Listen, we have a real enemy who has proven strategies and a singular purpose, death and destruction. Can I say that to you again? We have a real enemy who has proven strategies and a singular purpose, death and destruction. Listen, this incident in Mark 9 is not a parable. It's not just a story that Jesus told to make a point. It's a real situation with real people. It happened and they had a real problem. And the problem is as real for us today as it was when Jesus walked on the earth. There is a spiritual battle. Now you might look at me this morning and say, maybe not out loud, um, please tell me you don't really believe in demons. I mean, this is 2022. This is not the dark ages. Do you really believe in some ancient, ancient, superstitious kind of malarkey that there's a real devil and all his minions are out to get us? Is that really what you believe? 
let's be honest. Our ideas of demons have been more formed by Hollywood than they have by the Scriptures. We've let secular culture form our ideas about a spiritual reality that the Bible teaches and Jesus very much believed in. Y'all, I, I believe that there is a real demon, real devil, and real demons because Jesus believed that. Many of his miracles, many of his miracles involved casting out demons. He told us that the devil was real and he even told us what his agenda was. Scripture repeatedly reminds us that we are at war with a crafty and powerful enemy. All right? Let me prove it to you. John 9, 44. Jesus told us that the devil is the father of all lies. In John 10, 10, Jesus calls him the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5, 8 warns us to be alert and sober-minded because our enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We learn from 1 Corinthians 7, 5 that he tempts the saints specifically with illicit sex. 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us that he turns unresolved anger into bitterness in the hearts of God's people. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says he deceives and leads people astray. And 1 John 3 tells us that hatred and murder come from him. Listen, friends, if you're going to deny the reality of the devil and demons and their attack on you and your family and your friends and your city and our nation, you're going to have to deny a good chunk of the scriptures. Satan and his demons are real. And they are actively scheming to destroy you and everything that God wants to do in you and through you. That is precisely why the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Y'all, the scriptures warn us to, to be on our guard, to be ready to fight the spiritual battle that's in front of us. And some of you this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You feel it. You're worn out from the fight. And maybe you're starting to feel like something's wrong with you. But listen, we should not be surprised by the battle. Jesus told us that in the world we would have trouble. But not to take heart. Not to lose heart. Not to give in. Not to lose faith. Because he said, I've overcome the world. But others of you need to hear this. The surest way to lose a war is to deny or ignore the fact that there is a war going on. Let me, let me tell you something. Pretending there's not a battle will not help you win the battle. If you want to experience the abundant life that Jesus died to purchase for you, then you're going to have to walk in the power of the resurrection and live in victory over sin. You're going to have to fight. But that means that you have to be aware of the battle that rages around you. you got to be alert. 
You got to be on your guard. You got to pay attention to what's happening. Man, I was thinking about this as, as uh, Josh was talking this morning in, in prayer time about the, this beginning of the Thanksgiving week. You know what? Some of you are not anticipating the holidays with a great sense of peace because there's somebody in your family, might be immediate family, might be extended family, and you know they're coming to Thanksgiving and they have the capacity to turn everything upside down. Their attitude, their, their lifestyle, the results of their sin and their rebellion, they just they affect everybody in the family and the whole atmosphere changes when they walk in the room. Listen, y'all, it's a spiritual battle. Some of you, it's, it's a little closer to home. It's, 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 you got a kid. You got a kid whose, whose attitude and mood just affects everything. When they're good, everything's good. But when they're not good, everything is a struggle. And y'all, it's not a phase. It's not a phase. It's not a stage. It's not just their personality. Y'all, it's a spiritual attack. The enemy is working to undermine the family dynamic. For others of you, the battle's in your head and in your heart. You, you know the gospel, you've heard it, but it's just so hard to, for you to believe that you're actually forgiven. That you're really loved. And it's not just self-doubt, y'all. It's an attack against you because the enemy is saying to you just like he said to Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say? Has he really promised to forgive you? Did he really say he would love you? Did he really say that? And my friends, you're caught in a spiritual battle because the devil can't stand the thought of you actually believing the gospel. He goes to war in your mind and your heart. Some of you are overwhelmed with desire. And I'm just going to be straight up and call it what it is. You're overwhelmed by sexual desire. And you think, well, I mean, after all, God created me with these desires. Surely he wants me to be fulfilled. Can it really be wrong? Why should should I wait? Why, Why does it matter who I love and the battle my friend, rages. Because the enemy stirs up passions in you. He's trying to convince you that these desires have to be satisfied for you to be happy. And he's doing his best to keep you from surrender and obedience to God. But others of you, it's not sexual desire. It's just desire for something. Something different. A different job. A different place, a different house, some new thing, a different opportunity, a different school, a different set of friends. And the enemy's just trying to convince you that what we sang this morning is not true. Jesus will never be enough for you. You need something else. And I need to say to you that what he's put in front of you is idolatry. Because idolatry is the belief that I need anything else for life and peace, and joy, and godliness in addition to Jesus. Or even in place of Him. And the battle rages. 
Some of you, it's about disappointment and frustration because you're just not where you wanted to be and the enemy whispers to you that you need that thing and you start to question, is God going to give me what I want? And you rage at him because he's keeping you from the life you dreamed of. And the devil's attacking your mind and your heart in order to alienate you from God. And from the very thing that Grant read over us this morning, he's working together in all things for your good. There are a host of ways that the enemy attacks us. He's always doing battle. He's always trying to disrupt, even in the church. Interpersonal, relational conflict is designed by the enemy to destroy the unity of the body of Christ and to discredit us before the world. He's always at work. There's a battle that's raging. And you know what? For some of you, the enemy's caught you and you don't even know it. Because everything seems good. I mean, life's good. You're comfortable. You love your life. You can't imagine things being better. You have everything you ever hoped for. And you really don't feel like you're at much of a war until you read Jesus' words to the rich young ruler. One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and come follow me. And the enemy whispers to you, that's kind of ridiculous. That's a little bit fanatical. And the war rages over your treasure. But John, 1 John 2, 15 and 16 warns us not to love the world because the cravings of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of possessions, these are not from the Father. And my friends, the battle for your affections is intense. And it is a spiritual battle. Look, I'm not trying to depress you this morning. I'm not trying to create fear and anxiety in you. I'm just trying to tell you there's a war going on. And it's a war for your soul. And it's a war for faith. And the enemy is hell-bent on destroying you, on stealing your joy, and on robbing you of your faith. And he will do everything he can to distract you and cut you off from the only one who can give you the abundant life that is found in God. So hear me loud and clear today. We are at war. And you better get your head in the game if you don't want to be destroyed. All right? Here's the second truth. The struggle for faith is real. Listen, faith is necessary, but it's not easy. It's not instant. It doesn't just wash over you. It's not even natural. In response to the Father's plea for help, Jesus lays out this condition for his help, faith. He says to this desperate man, everything is possible for the one who believes. And in that moment, with his son's future hanging in the balance, this broken father blurts out, I believe, I believe, I believe. But he doesn't stop there. He adds one more confession, help my unbelief. All right, we already said this. He's got faith, but there's doubt mingled in. But I want you to hear this this morning. This father had two things on which to base his faith and say, I believe. Two things. He had Jesus' word and he had Jesus' presence. He had Jesus' word. Jesus' word. Everything is possible. He had Jesus' declaration. I can do anything. And he heard Jesus say in that, my power is unlimited. 
There's no obstacle to what I can do. There's no power greater than me. There's nothing that can come against my plan and my purpose for you. I am God Almighty, all-powerful. I can do anything. And he had Jesus' presence. Listen, y'all, he's standing there. Can you imagine that? He's standing there face to face with Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's eye to eye with the one who would lay down his very life for him. And the compassion in those eyes must have given him hope. Listen, this is not new and it's not novel, but you need to hear and heed this. Just like this father... We have access to Jesus' word and his presence. If you expect to live by faith and experience the abundant life, if you expect to not be taken down by disbelief, if you expect to not be destroyed by the attack of the enemy, then you will need to be actively, daily hearing the word of God. Listen to me. A 30 to 45 minute speech on the weekend is not going to cut it. You're going to have to be daily ingesting the word. You're going to have to be what Jesus said in John 15, abiding in him and in his word. You're going to have to dwell there. You're going to have to set camp up in God's word and hear it. You're going to have to position yourself to let God speak his truth into you. And if we're going to fight the good fight and finish the race and keep the faith, we're going to need to learn to abide in his love and dwell in his presence and gaze on his beauty and worship him. You're going to need to learn to be present with Jesus. To sit. Y'all, we aren't a culture that gazes anymore. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, David said. And this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Do you know when David said that? David said that in the middle of a fight. The verses that precede it say, though, though I'm besieged by an army, though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. I'll be full of faith. Why? Because I've positioned myself in the temple of the Lord to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Here's part of our problem. We're deeply aware of all the trouble that surrounds us, but we're not nearly so aware of the presence and the power of God. We gaze at our trouble. We gaze at our trouble. We gaze at our circumstance. And we just glance at God. Y'all, if you want to be filled with faith in the middle of the fight, you got to keep your eye on the one who has already won the battle. You've got to learn to gaze at Jesus. Listen, Jesus is both powerful and good. And we need to have that faith fueled by the Word of God and by time in His presence. I can't tell you how many times I repeat this prayer right here. How many times I say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen, on any given day, in any given circumstance, I don't know whether I'm really more trusting God or more doubting God. 
I know there's a seed of faith in me, but I know so there's, at the same time there's doubt and unbelief. And so I'm not going to try to be a man of pretense. I'm going to be honest and say to him, I believe, but I need you to help me help my unbelief. I need you to get me over this hurdle so that I really do trust you because I don't want to be destroyed. I don't want to miss out on what God wants to do over questions in my heart. I want to obey Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I want to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. I want to, in all my ways, acknowledge. Not just, not just glance at Him, and get, but gaze, acknowledge, know Him. I want to know Him in all my circumstances and trust that whatever trouble I'm walking through, He's going to lead me in a straight path. And I have to fight, y'all. I have to fight and trust and believe when I can't see. I don't have time to lay it. There are a host of things in my life that I don't understand that cause me trouble and doubt and fear and anxiety. But I want to trust God in the middle of it. So I'm going to feast on His Word and I'm going to gaze on Him in His presence and I'm going to let Him fuel the fire of faith in me. Y'all, faith isn't something that just happens to you. I need to tell you this. Faith doesn't just happen to you. It's a deliberate choice to trust. And it takes work to fight the lies of the enemy. But it's not blind faith, y'all. It's not blind faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For the one who comes to Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Y'all, it's not blind faith. It's anchored in a person. And his name is Jesus. And it's tethered to a trustworthy word. And it's validated by a host of witnesses who have gone before us. Y'all, it's not blind faith. We have Jesus. We have the cross. We have the word of God. And we have a host of people throughout the centuries and in this church who will say to you, God will work it out. No purpose or plan of His can be thwarted. He will do everything He's promised to do. The third point this morning is this. Prayer is essential for victory. Alright? There's a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle. And the struggle for faith is real. And prayer is essential for victory. Alright, look. The disciples really, they really were genuinely confused. Listen, they obviously expected to cast the demon out, right? Why, why couldn't we do this? But clearly, they failed. So they asked Jesus, why couldn't we drive it out? And his reply is very simple. This kind can come out only by prayer. But what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? Here's what's really super interesting to me. In that moment... From what we have of the record of Scripture, Jesus did not pray. Did you notice that? Jesus says to the disciples, this kind comes only out by prayer. But Jesus himself did not pray. What does that mean? Well, first, I, I, I think it's important to note that what Jesus is identifying here is that their lack of faith was the reason for their defeat in this spiritual battle. Look, saying a prayer is not a fix. The prayer, the prayer, Jesus is saying, the lack of prayer was an evidence of a lack of faith. Remember earlier in the story when Jesus bemoans their lack of faith? 
verse 19, where he says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Listen, he was talking to the disciples, and when, when he said to the Father, everything is possible for the one believes, he wasn't just talking to the Father, he was talking to the disciples. That word was for everybody who was listening. Everything is possible for the one who believes. In Matthew 17, we have another record of this very same incident. And Jesus responds to their question in in Matthew 17 by saying, because you have so little faith. In Matthew 17, the disciples ask the same question. It's the same record. It's It's the same incident. Luke says, this kind comes out only by prayer. Matthew's recount of it he said because you have so little faith truly I tell you if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mountain move from here and it will move nothing will be impossible for you you hear that faith faith as small as a mustard seed that's pretty small and Jesus declares that even that faith can move mountains That's because it's not the size of your faith that matters, but the object of the faith. You see, apparently the disciples thought they could handle the situation. They they didn't feel a need to pray. They didn't feel a need to exercise faith and call on God to do something. They thought they could handle the situation. And maybe that was because of prior success. Right? I mean, they'd been on the road doing miracles and healing people and casting out demons. So maybe they just expected, hey, we're pretty good at this. We can handle this. We've done this before. Come out. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's because of prior success. But because Jesus, but, but really it was their misplaced faith that kept them from experiencing the power of God. Jesus said this kind comes out only by prayer. All right, do you see the connection there? The prayer was supposed to be an expression of their faith. And the fact that they didn't pray The fact that they didn't call on God was evidence that they weren't really trusting in God. So let me give you these three things. First, the absence of prayer reveals a lack of faith. The absence of prayer reveals a lack of faith. Listen, your prayer life may be the best gauge of your faith. What you sang moments ago may not be the best gauge of your faith. Your declaration, you're saying, oh, I trust God, I believe Him, may not be the best gauge of your faith. The best gauge of your faith may actually be your prayer life. Our fervency in prayer or lack of it may be the best indicator of where we've placed our trust. Listen to me. Look at me. If you're not praying about it, you've decided you can handle it. I'm going to say that again. If you're not praying about it, if you're not asking for God's help in it, you've decided you can handle it. I got this. I don't need any help. Or maybe it's like, well, I don't know. If I ask him, he's probably not going to do anything. It's a lack of faith. Y'all, our prayerlessness screams, I've got this, or worse yet, it screams, I've given up on God. I don't believe in His ability or willingness to help. Either way, prayerlessness is a sure sign of a lack of faith. Prayer, number two, prayer doesn't just reveal your faith. Prayer builds your faith. Prayer's not just an assessment of your faith. It's a way to access faith and build your faith. Listen, prayer's so much more than just asking. I think we miss so much when all we think of when we think of prayer is intercession. 
I want you to think about any meaningful relationship you have. And I want you to think, is asking the best way to cultivate that relationship. When I teach on prayer, I say this often. If I talk to my wife the way I talk to God, what kind of relationship would we have? Do I need to illustrate that for you? Honey, I need this. Can you do this? I really need you to do this now. I need you to fix this. I need you to stop that. Are you listening to me? Are you paying attention to me? Because I need you to do this. I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm asking you to do this. I can't stand this anymore. I need you. Would you fix this? Would you do this? Would you change this? What kind of relationship is built by that? Y'all, if we want to build faith in Jesus, we don't build faith by asking. We build faith by looking at him and calling out his greatness. By acknowledging that he is altogether lovely. That he is beautiful. That he is worthy of our praise. That he's great and glorious and powerful and good and majestic and creative. we got to call it out. we got to look at him and believe that he is bigger than whatever this thing is we face. We, we've got to get in front of him and acknowledge that in light of who he is, we are not that. We have to confess our sins. Listen, y'all, we can't build faith in a relationship by sweeping our error and our sin and our neglect under the rug. We've got to deal with it. We've got to be honest about it. And we've got to express gratitude. Look, let me ask you a question. What has God done in your life that no longer is worthy of your thanksgiving and praise? Oh, we got to be people of gratitude. we got to regularly call up. Because you see, when I call up, listen to me, when I call up the character of God, okay, I'm focusing on who God is. When I confess, y'all, I'm accessing the power of the gospel. I'm applying gospel truth to my life. I'm believing in the mercy and grace and willingness of God to forgive. When I call up what God has done in the past and I give Him thanks, y'all, I am stoking the fire of faith in a powerful, gracious, and good God. And when you do that, that fans into flame the fire of faith for the current battle. Y'all, we're going to have to build up a robust belief in the greatness, grace, and goodness of God if we expect to walk by faith. The third thing of this is this. Prayer is a, prayer, the prayer of faith can access the power of God. All right, look, only one person in this story prayed. Only one. It wasn't Jesus, and it wasn't the disciples. You know who it was? It was the desperate father. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Y'all, I love it. It's simple. It's imperfect. It's pitiful. It's desperate. But that prayer changed everything. This father didn't tell Jesus what to do. He didn't name it and claim it. He didn't bear down and believe God for a miracle. He surrendered himself and his son to the mercy of God. Whatever you can do, it doesn't matter. Just do something out of pity and mercy and compassion. Just step in and help us. I'll take it. And he called out for Jesus to respond to his great need. Listen, y'all, the prayer of faith is not always a bold ask. Often it's just humble surrender. 
It's not always a bold ask. Sometimes it's just humble surrender. It's trusting that the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort will do what is best. So let me ask you, does any of that resonate with you this morning? Does any of that resonate with you? Is is there a place in your life where you feel like you're doing battle? Where, Where you feel like the call to faith, to trust, to believe God is hard Is there any place where you feel desperate and broken and you feel like if God doesn't do something, we're going to be destroyed? Maybe not physically, but maybe in the spiritual realm. God, I'm not going to make it. If you don't don't work here, if you don't show up, let me ask you this morning, is there a place where you feel like that? And would you be willing... Would you be willing to look into the compassionate eyes of your Savior who laid down His life for you? I love Romans um, 8.32. How will He who did not spare His only Son, but freely gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously, freely give us all things? Can you look at the, into the eyes of the Father who would lay down His only Son for you and say, I believe, I trust. Is there a spot where you feel like if God doesn't do something, you're not going to make it? This morning, would you be willing to say to Him, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. Would you just have mercy on me, on us, on our family, on my child, on my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother? God, would you just have mercy? Would you just look at us and take pity on us and help us? I believe, help my unbelief. Is there any place where that resonates with you this morning? If there is, then I want to ask you to do this. I I want to ask you to posture yourself in submission and surrender. Maybe you want to get down on your knees where you are. Maybe you want to stretch out, prostrate before the Lord. Maybe you want to come before here to the altar and kneel. But I want to ask you, are you willing this morning to respond to the battle in your own life and come before Jesus and say, I need you to have mercy on me and help. I believe, help my unbelief. Can we pray together? You come, you kneel, you stretch out before the Lord whatever it is you want or need to do to express your dependence on Him, your faith in Him. This morning, would you do that? In just a moment, we're going to take communion together. It's a reminder of the surest sign we have that ours is a God of compassion and mercy. Ours is a God who sees our trouble, who knows what the fight, the battle is really all about. 
And he's willing to step in and do something about it. Maybe you want to come and take these elements and hold them in your hand. And let the cross of Jesus fuel your faith this morning. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at